0: Hey, hey, NWA, what you got with you to share today? Hey, hey, NWA, wanna hear what you got to say? go down to and NWA. Hey, hey. Hey, Northwest Arkansas. Welcome to another episode of Hey, Hey, and Wa. I'm your host Peyton Finley, and I'm your other host uh, Zach Pinky. And this week. On Hey Hey and we got to feature the critical feminist podcast Lean Back. So, Lean Back is actually a response to the Lean In movement, uh, the concept that uh, women need to lean into their roles at work in order to succeed and advance. And their response is actually to lean back from that and take more of a critical feminist approach to these issues that are more systematic in nature. And that's just the origin of their name. And we dive more into that into the actual episode itself. But their podcast actually focuses on certain concepts and how we think of those and how those can be seen through a critical feminist lens.
1: Yeah. I was really excited for this interview and also incredibly nervous because Lisa and Laura are geniuses. Yes. Uh, When it comes to this topic i am far from that uh when it comes to this topic um so i was really nervous walking into that room that i was i don't know in a weird way uh most of the time i'm really excited to learn about something
0: this i was a little bit nervous about this one um well i can affirm that in the sense that during during the interview i actually say this that Every time I listen to one of their episodes, I have to debrief. I have to take a moment. I need to process everything so I can think about just everything said, because as you'll hear in this interview, they, they, Lisa and Laura connect concepts a million miles a minute. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very incredible. And even after, after this interview, you know, I'm still absorbing things. And during the interview is really tough because keeping up is tough. But it's all really challenging and gives me a lot of, I guess, pause on some of these things that we were able to discuss.
1: Yeah. So let's let our listeners listen to that interview, um, and we'll let them be the example that we're alluding to. You can go ahead and hear that now. Of course.
0: But before we get started, we must give you a... Swear warning. Yes, listeners, there are a good amount of swears and not only just swears, but a lot of more adult themes and adult content.
1: Yeah, it's just there's some graphic. It's just graphic.
0: Some yeah. of it's pretty graphic. <laughs> it's just the way it is. But I would still highly encourage you to listen to the episode. And yeah, just there there's a good amount of swears. Um and more adult themes. But it's all very intellectually challenging. So let's just get into it.
1: Hey, Northwest Arkansas. Welcome back to another episode of Hey, Hey NWA. We are in downtown Fayetteville at the office of the lean back podcast with the two hosts of the lean back podcast. Would you two like to introduce yourselves?
2: Sure. I'm
3: Laura Wiederhaft and I'm Lisa Corrigan and we are lean back.
1: And what is it that you guys do when you're not doing a podcast? Because for Peyton and I, we also have day jobs um, because the podcast uh, life isn't particularly financially sustainable at this level. Uh, so, what is it that you each do?
2: Well, uh, I I do stand up comedy. Okay, that's not necessarily an occupation that pays very well at this level. Either, but <laughs> uh, I was named the 2017 uh, Black Apple Award winner for Best Comedian in Arkansas. So, Ooh, try- no big deal. we're trying. And then I also work as a server and a bartender uh, at uh, local establishments. I work at Arcegas, The Depot, uh, Vault, and Cathead Biscuits. So, really pulling a lot of, <laughs> 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 like, uh, I'm just learning the restaurant industry that way, but, um, yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing with my time. Lisa? Um, so I'm a
3: professor of communication at the University of Arkansas where I also direct the gender studies program and my book Prison Power, How Prison Influenced the Movement for Black Liberation, um, won the 2017 Diamond Anniversary Book Award for the best book in the field of communication.
1: Killing it. Everybody's killing it at this table. <laughs> there's
3: some murdering going on,
2: <laughs> mostly the rhymes,
3: so how'd
0: you two meet?
2: We met at a bar, I think we did, yeah, um, I think i, I was friends with some of your students students, I think. right, yeah, and we just uh had an engaging conversation, and I think the next time we saw each other out had another engaging conversation and I mean, it turned into a podcast eventually. <laughs> <laughs> it,
3: it did. Although it, the the podcast, the origin story of the podcast is pretty funny. We were day drinking uh, on a Friday afternoon. And I was like, you know what I want to do? And Laura's like, what? I was like, I want to do drunk feminist history. And I want to get a VW Bug. And I want to drive around the country to like Seneca Falls and stuff. And then do drunk feminist history. And she's like, oh my gosh, I can totally get behind that. And I'm like, it's kind of. I don't know that I have the time. (laughs) Seems kind of expensive, but it's a good idea. And she's like, why don't we do podcasts?" I'm like, I don't know anything about that. Uh And she's like, yeah, but maybe maybe you could watch a couple. And I was like, I don't know that I don't really have time for that. So anyhow, I watched a couple. I'm like, okay, I mean, I'll try it. And so we tried it, and I'm like, I love this. And she's like, this is super fun. And so... Anyhow, so we decided to to keep going with Lean Back. And so the podcast was named Top Podcast in Arkansas for last year and one of the top 35 in the country by Pace Magazine. So I I don't know. We hit our stride, I think.
1: Yeah, no doubt.
3: Incredible. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's pretty good for a hobby. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And we're uh, in the midst of recording our fifth season, so we're continuing to punch away at some of the ideas that have been floating around in our heads yeah, but
3: it's kind of cool because we're in like
2: eighty countries, and we're at um, we're over a hundred thousand downloads. Yeah,
3: so. we are. Yeah, it kinda yeah, it's kind of hot.
1: Yeah, slick. That's yeah. so good. Well, I'm yeah, glad to be cool. here. I'm
3: glad yeah. to, you know. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Being around happy such to have you. C-
0: celebrities. Good <laughs> Lord. Yeah, I'm,
3: I mean, look, let's be honest, it mostly leads to weird, like, confessions and bathrooms around town and on the street and stuff, so the level of celebrity has mostly just created a bunch of awkwardness right. in the day-to-day mm. that's pretty charming. <laughs> that's true. Charming.
0: What
1: is? is. What does that entail? What does celebrity status of a podcast entail? Do people hear you talking in a bathroom stall and say, "Oh, I know that voice." (laughs) Yeah, I recognize that voice. Oh my god,
3: we get t boned all the time. I mean, it'll be one o'clock in the morning, and I'm like washing my hands in a bathroom, and somebody's like, "Oh my gosh, I totally listened to your episode on guilt, and I totally understand where all my mom issues come from, and blah 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 blah." And it's like, cool.
2: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) for me, it's like someone knows my name, and I am like. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Remind me of yours. But no, yeah, like the other day someone was like, oh, I recognize you normally because they had a class with Lisa or something or that (laughs) I'm the part of the podcast that they didn't, they haven't met yet. (laughs) It's true. We are sort of
3: like permanently associated now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm Laura and Lisa, Lisa and Laura, Laura and Mm -hmm. Lisa, Lisa and Laura.
1: Know that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
3: You know how it goes.
1: I do.
0: Okay, so we haven't actually dug into what the podcast is. So let's get into that <laughs> a little bit. All right, Lean Back. So Critical, critical Feminist Podcast,
3: mm-hmm. right?
0: Okay, so Lean Back is the response to Lean In, and I want to hear about that.
3: Well, so th- this is kind of how the name started. So I had been basically shitting all over Sheryl Sandberg, all over Facebook after she published Lean In. Um, and So... I would constantly post it and hashtag it "Lean Back," and with um, Fat Joe and Remy Ma's Terror Squad song, and I was just tagging Laura in it constantly because I was just like all in on Cheryl Sandberg, who I think is an idiot. And so <laughs> when she, she when she kind of talked me into trying out the podcast, I'm like, you know, we gotta we gotta call it "Lean Back," um, and I liked that idea because it was the opposite. So we were talking a lot about why leaning in is problematic. And Laura Laura went on a just a devastating rant about why leaning in is so bad.
1: And what is leaning in?
3: Laura?
2: Well, basically, lean in asks women to, like, get a seat at the table and to show up more for work. Um, And it's not a realistic ask for a lot of women because they have unreasonable expectations. Like, they've got to be, like, for example, if they're mothers, then they have to be like the primary uh, caretaker of their child, but then also they have to uh, do extra work in the workplace to uh, advance further. Like they have expectations that men don't like, and also they have to look hot while doing it. It's like, they've got to do the same. (laughs) They have to do the same hustle that men do in high heels. So uh, basically lean in is, Asking women to do more when there's like structural inequality that is holding them back and it's blaming women for uh, having lower salaries or not advancing in the workplace Um, when actually it's a structural issue and not like an individual issue.
3: Yeah, I mean it's sort of a form of like gaslighting for Sandberg to be like oh the reason you're not getting ahead in the workplace is because you're not working hard enough if you just like put in more hours and shit then you're gonna get paid so much more money like okay. that works like we live yeah. in a meritocracy which is obviously idiotic and this is coming from like this billionaire lady who's got like a permanent nanny and a staff and somebody who cooks for her and somebody right who manages her entire life sure. and she's got all this domestic labor that makes it possible for her to write this trash so it, I just I just found the publication of that book to be um gratuitous and craven and ugly and relentlessly racist so I was all in on on it as a gag (laughs) online for like probably (laughs) I don't know six to eight months before we even started thinking about the podcast I mean I was just like all over it and I'm like I like the idea of lean back because we want to refuse that it's like the only way that you can see the oppression is to actually move further away from it to put it into perspective, right? But when you're right up on it, you can't see it. It's like being in a birdcage, right? Maybe you can see one tine of the birdcage at a time, but you can't actually see that you're surrounded by the cage, and that's exactly what leaning in is. It's like you're too close to to the power and to the power dynamic, so you can't see how tremendously you are participating in your own oppression within this, like, neoliberal regime of labor and um so i'm so i'm like yeah lean back so we wrote a manifesto about it and it's the first episode of season one where we talk about you know lean back as a refusal right to go along with the way that men want women to overexert themselves at work and at home and and it was and it was just really a tremendous rebuttal against like corporate america's hijacking of every single moment of like women's existence Hmm. gotcha so we so we showed the library and just like we recorded it and Probably thirty minutes. We just sat down and ranted that manifesto out, and it was done. I gotcha. mean, it was just yeah.
1: So what started as a joke, sort of, kind a of pointed a pointed joke, a pointed joke, yeah, a political joke, right, right, uh, satirical a little bit, b- became something that meant something. A a real conversation about why this point of view or this uh, this way to address the issues is not the correct way to address the issue.
3: I mean, I just wanted lean in became a meme, right? Because she marketed it cuz she's a corporate whore. And so I wanted the opposite meme. Okay. <laughs> right. So the joke the joke started as the not that. The absolute not that. Right. And that that moment of refusal, I think, is a very powerful space to occupy uh-huh. as an existential interrogation into what somebody is marketing as an orientation towards life. And that's fundamentally what she did. And then she started shilling it out like she went to to Howard University and got all these black women rooms like if you just worked harder, you would make much. Oh, no, no, that's not how segregation works, honey. Right. Silicon Valley is super white. Right. It's definitely not black and that's not a thing and so she would go and then she started going into all of these black and brown spaces as though like her whiteness translated there in some one for one way which seems like it's beyond racist it is a kind of political gaslighting right like all of the problems that you're feeling in the workplace would
2: just be overcome if you worked harder hmm. yeah i mean you have to understand at the time when we were uh working through this this idea of lean back lean in was huge, huge. like Cheryl Sandberg had a team of people going around the country, like doing Ted talks about leaning in. I worked at the, at Walmart, the corporate headquarters in Bentonville for a little while. And they were like, every woman I worked with was reading that book and using it as a model for their careers. Even though <laughs> the, the corporate structure at Walmart wasn't doing a lot to like bring more women into their leadership. So it was just kind of, I, I mean, I, I was seeing it everywhere and I mean there needed to be a different narrative I felt. And we we both felt that way. So, we've been pretty vocal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean in
3: like the like er, there're puff pieces everywhere about how to lean in and who should lean in and when to lean in and I'm like you're going to lean in and they're just going to look at your tits. That's what's going to happen. That's what leaning in fundamentally is. Is how can you participate in your own object- objectification more thoroughly? so that they can they can extract more labor out of your body right. and out of your brain. And so, I mean, we were just indignant, really, that that this Zeitgeist under the guise of feminism was this bullshit self-help th- thing fad, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's like the thigh master.
2: <laughs> you know, right. basically it's doing nothing, like, nothing to change work. the behavior of men, which Wait. is gross. Yeah. <laughs> um and I mean, I We've, we've done an episode about the Me Too moment, too, where we're not completely calling out men as, like, individuals, but it completely blames women for any of their lack of social mobility or and, and career just, mobility.
3: It's relentlessly stupid about money. It's relentlessly stupid. It is stupid about the fact that women are balancing student loan debt and credit card debt and mortgages or they're not able to buy a home and a lack of public transportation and minimum wage jobs and no federal job guarantee. And so it is the most mindless shit to tell people to just work harder when there are all of these structural markers in the economy about how it has collapsed for massive populations. I mean, it is a total snow job. And then to just sell it and then have like the big corporations, right, you know, shill it out right at their giant, you know, warehouses for 10 bucks as though somehow that $10 is going to translate into meaningful life, you know, advice. And it just it doesn't work that way. So, yeah, so we so lean back critical feminist conversations. And so we interrogate the ways in which feminism is mobilized by neoliberal capitalists like Sheryl Sandberg as a way to pimp their own image and not as a way to ameliorate suffering or produce justice. Fundamentally anti-feminist discourse that's used feminist terms from the second wave as a way to sell shit to women. Right. That only makes them hate themselves because what happens is they work harder and they still don't get shit. Well, who's to blame? Them. They're to blame. So then you have you have this reinforcing circle, and they read it from this rich lady, and if she said it's true, it must be true. And so all of its doing is creating t- this huge pit of dis- you know self-esteem disaster for women who are legitimately trying to find ways to make their lives work right mm-hmm. more, co- more coherently. Right. So.
1: The way that you two structure your episodes is really interesting to me because it's almost like you take a word or an idea and have a conversation around that word and (laughs) dismantle it, look at it from different lenses and examine it. I mean, can you give us examples of some of those words
0: that, I mean, some of them are very innocuous. Well, the one that I've latched onto, and it's something that's a common thread that I've listen to in the podcast is play
3: yeah i was gonna say yes. play. that's okay. my favorite good uh-huh.
0: i if yeah. you could speak to that that'd be awesome
3: yeah so in cultural studies which is a field of literature the body of literature that i work in uh, academically the keyword is a way of thinking about architectures of thought right sure. so capital right would be one or okay. democracy would be one right they would be these keywords progress is one where you can trace an entire lineage of an architecture of a political idea or social motion around that word historically, right? To see how it changes over time and how it influences culture. So uh, for me, the key word idea is I work in that space and it's natural to me. And I also think it creates lots of flexibility, right? But play is my favorite because I really feel like one of the things that we do very well together, Laura and I, is we play very well together. And I see it as like kind of jouissance, as a way of being in the world like is an orientation towards joy. Mm. And I think that the only way to perform freedom so that we can get free is to find the spaces where we can play and not take ourselves so seriously. So one of the things that pissed me off about Sheryl Sandberg is that this bitch takes herself super seriously and there's no reason for it at all, at all for her to take herself for her ideas that are garbage, where she's regurgitating like the most basic data about women's lives and then pimp it out like it is this amazing revelatory discourse. So for me, play is a very tactile, emotional, open, vulnerable space that is really transformative politically, especially for
2: precarious communities. Mm -hmm. Laura, what's, I mean, I mean using these topics like single words we're able to like have a broader conversation so Mm -hmm. we're able to touch on like current events and like histories and individual experiences (laughs) through the lens of one like focus so in the case of play like that's a huge uh thought paradigm for us because it's about taking up space and it's about making room for like pleasure (laughs) <laughs> and yourself and it's not about trying to be anything that you're not so yeah it's very it makes, disarming right yeah um but yeah we've all i mean we've also covered uh topics aren't you know i mean we we talked about work in the first season two which is a, in i mean some people in their they orient that as the opposite of play so we covered both of those topics in the first season um and, and we were able to evaluate like Different aspects of uh, how how we're living our lives right now through like those two very different perspectives. But we both also use
3: humor a lot, and like obviously Laura is a stand-up comedian, and I have a captive audience, right? <laughs> <Pretty> <laughs> like for for a career. So we both traffic in humor. As a discourse of transformation, both personally and then publicly. And so I see play as really relevant because it's a pedagogical tool. I think people actually don't play enough. And so, you know, with this drive to lean in and work harder and work longer and have longer hours, it's like the self recedes, desire is repressed. People become anxious and angry and they lash out and they gun up and they beat their wives, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's like if there were more spaces, I think, to play, we would be less aggressive as a culture and I think probably more fulfilled as a people so one of the things that I like about lean back is that it is a it's a it's a it's a way of literally you use the word disarming like and I you know obviously I, we talk a lot about guns but it's actually it, but it is it's a way of disarming oneself right and then disarming it's like okay put your ego away <laughs> like, mm. put your ego away and take some risks and we talk a lot about risk taking right we've a, noticed
2: people saying mm-hmm. that they It's it allows them to think about their lives in a little bit of a lighter way, and that's been some of the feedback we've gotten, which is mm -hmm. nice. I mean,
0: well, it makes things less scary to encounter as just a person who you know maybe doesn't play as much. Like they are able to actually entertain these ideas that aren't as scary anymore because, like, hey, I'm gonna be light about it. I'm gonna play with the idea, and then it becomes yeah, it becomes light. It doesn't become this. Hot potato.
3: Right. And it doesn't, it just, we, we try and shun expectations, right? Because expectations are the way that people get trapped and that's how they feel trapped and that's why they want out of their marriages or their jobs or their lives or whatever. And so play, I think, can help create relationships where you, are not trapped because everybody's on the same page that you're you're growing and moving and you're mobile and f- and right there's a shape shifting sort of aspect to it where you get to try on different personas over the course of your lifetime you get to change your ideas about things and you don't have to be like this static person who told everybody in eleventh grade they were going to go be a lawyer and then you have to execute that plan right that you had when you were fifteen. And that's how people like, actually live their lives. Like, okay, well, I said that I was gonna go to law school and I was gonna get married and la, 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 And then that they orient every single decision towards whatever bullshit that they made up when their grandparents asked them, right, mm-hmm. <laughs> at a picnic. And so it's like, don't do, maybe don't do that. Maybe just give some of that stuff up and don't carry it around with you and create more space for yourself to occupy where you can hypothesis test versions of yourself to be more whole and more human and more humane.
0: Where do you think that comes from? I guess that that fear is it. Be, it does it originate from expectation?
3: Yeah, and violence. I mean, that we live in a culture where the police just shoot unarmed black kids. So, like, there are legitimate fears to play when you're Tamir Rice and you have a toy water gun and the police policeman riddles your body, right, with bullets and then is there's no grand jury indictment. That's real hard. I mean, there, there are whole huge populations in this culture where children can't even play. So it's like, to create space for adults to play and to think about play as a valuable thing, I think, is an important moment. We're in a, An important cultural moment for that
2: Yeah (laughs) I don't have anything to add (laughs) (laughs) On that front Laura's like what she said (laughs) I should say uh, We we do put things on blast on the podcast so it's not all about play no yeah right. that's not def that's not the well only i thing we mean do, this conversation
0: but... just is evidence of like how much you can dig into something right just a single mm-hmm. word sorry continue
2: but but we're not blaming individuals or i mean we're trying to take a broader perspective like we put things on blast that are damaging people but not you know <laughs> throwing any individual person over the coals i feel but <laughs> I think one of
3: one of the episodes that we get a lot of feedback on is shame, um, and the way that the culture manufactures shame and um, how shame is unequally distributed, especially upon women, especially around sexuality. Uh, and so we get a lot of feedback. And I mean, so I was saying earlier, like I get people, I call it drive-by gender talk. Like people just t-bone me up with like, right? Oh my gosh. I like, I have all these feelings about sex and I don't know what to do with them. And it's like, okay, well, sex therapists make a lot more money than I do, but you might want to talk to them. But also like hear all of the <laughs> reasons why cultural shame has political power over you and how it's like damaging your life, right? So we get a lot of feedback on that, that episode too, I would say.
2: For sure. Yeah, we talked about Monica Lewinsky, which she had her, you know, she's trying to reemerge and like speak her story and i think lean back is a really good uh lens to think about like her story and what happened to her and (laughs) how leaning in wasn't (laughs) the right the right mode of operation for her
0: well let's let's talk about it a little bit so how was leaning in detrimental to monica
3: I mean, I sort of see Monica Lewinsky as a heroic figure, right, who on the one hand was giving in to some sexual desire, but in a, in the most stratified, um, you know, sort of power relationship probably in America. Right. And so it's like on the one hand, props for like wanting to get it on. And on the other hand, it's like, oh, my God, here here is this. Um, man who has this reputation right of being this ladies man and having all this extramarital sex and and obviously lauren i don't really care about that so much just the fact that she was tarred and feathered as somehow the 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 um, perpetrator like she perpetrated this crime against america and um so we talk a lot about the virgin horror (laughs) double bind that women are in right right and so Monica Lewinsky was that. And I, I find
2: her to be a very sympathetic figure, especially given how young she was. Yeah. And at the time she was totally raised by feminists. They were relentless about criticizing her behavior. Um, so just the lack of support she received from like the feminist community and the political community and how her career was basically over. I mean, she did everything as at her age that, you know... <laughs> She didn't do anything wrong. She didn't do anything wrong. Right. She just
3: didn't. But it's interesting because if you think about Trump now with all the divorces and the porn stars and the sex without condoms and the pussy grabbing. I mean, we're in a moment where there is no political shame. So that so it's a it's almost an entire reversal, like all of the shame that was heaped on the Clinton administration about sex. Right. Coming out of the Reagan revolution, which is all about sexual repression and punishing women for sexuality as a reaction to the 60s and the sexual revolution. All of that has flipped now. Right. As a reaction to uh, Hillary Clinton presidential run and a black president and an entirely shifting financial landscape. So here you have a president having sex. I mean, (laughs) and lying about it with impunity and just and the religious right is covering for him about it and so this is a very interesting moment to think about how the politics of shame has really shifted right right? because because you're also having the me too moment which is an assertion of shame language when it has been completely evacuated from national political life so women are trying to re-establish shame as a vector through which to understand sexual politics which is stupid and bad, and uh, fundamentally going to undercut any kind of arguments about sexual freedom or agency. Can you
1: can you unpack that for me
3: yeah. really quick? <laughs> he's, I, he's like, that sounds interesting. Could you say that differently? Well, uh, <laughs> also,
1: I just, I am ignorant about a ton of this stuff, yeah. and I really think, like... Like dismantling some of that conversation and not dismantling it, but like explaining the pieces more. (laughs) Parsing it out, yes.
0: Well, and I was, I should have said this at the beginning, like I listen to your episodes and I just like silently need to just...
1: Breathe for a second. Yes,
0: because <laughs> it's so dense. So um, it's dense. I'm a dense, star. So doing this live, live is ooh, it's fascinating for me. Well,
3: it's fun. So two things about that. One, this is literally how we record. We come in, we sit down, we right. do 45 minutes, and I walk out the door. Uh-huh. So that's how it, it's like. Oh my god, we can, we can squeeze in like an hour. It's like okay, sound print, right. <laughs> and then we're just off to the races. And I'm like, I got to go to another meeting. I'll see you later. Right. And I just walk at. So it's literally like that. So that you're like. <laughs> uh-huh. And I'm like, all right, I got in the next one. Okay, I got to go. With thing. Okay, so, but the thing about the shame culture is that right now, right, the entire um, GOP moment, this reactionary white supremacist sexist moment, sure. is all about the destruction of shame as like a vector of political conversation, right? Okay. So that's what's happening with the white men's who are white men'sing, right, in DC. And then here you have the women, the Me Too moment. They say it's about stories. I appreciate that. There's some there's some truthiness to that. But the problem is that what they're trying to do is reimpose shame as a way of understanding sex, right? Here is trying do- I mean, there has to be some value in a- allowing divorced people to run shit and for them to have sex for pleasure. That those would be like totally feminist goals, like Mm-hmm, definitely are 100%. But here is the guy who's not being ashamed. He refuses to be shamed for sex. Now, some of it is obviously non consensual. And that's a problem there's stuff to unpack there. Right. But at the end of the day, reimposing shame as the lens through which to understand political life and sex culture is fundamentally long term bad. it's not good we don't want shame around sex there's no that no good comes from that and that's exactly what me too is trying to do and so for us in the consent episode i went on a long rant about how it's a kind of post-truth technology like trump just just gets to make up whatever the hell he wants to say and then women are just like i have a story i mean and i was saying to laura like i study crime the like the worst data at a crime scene is the eyewitness account right because yeah. it's super biased towards the self so there are no like personal narratives that somehow are totally true that's not a thing right. they're a perspective on a thing there are other perspectives on that thing and so the me too moment is a post-truth technology that's attempting to rectify this vacation this evacuation of shame with a reimposition of shame
2: yeah and i also feel like it's I don't know it's another situation where people are being blamed when there's like a structural issue that's like a larger cause mm. so it to me it reads a lot like lean in and the way that we talk about it because <laughs> there's like a structural system that objectifies women and then we're now calling out like individual names for like living their lives under that narrative and not like <laughs> taking a critical lens or well because cause the
0: notion is it, it's kind of like the you know the lean in movement it's like you're not advocating for yourself enough right Kind of like you need to like say your own story in order okay. to get anything yeah, but
3: the problem is that the, the only story you get to offer is the victim so like literally the least leverage that you could possibly have in a narrative is I'm the victim <laughs> And so, you know, we in in the we call it a wound fetish like, you know, a wound was created and I'm going to wave it around and that's my identity. And that's what you have done. And that is so bad for sex culture. It's really bad for feminism. I think it undermines any notions of freedom whatsoever. Right. I mean, it's just like fundamentally not a thing. The problem is not consent. The problem is not like that Donald Trump doesn't know about consent because he does. He the problem is that he has a shitload of money and doesn't have to care. The problem is that he's wealthy. The problem is not one of consent. It's not one of his communication problems. The problem is that he has enough structural wealth to buy himself, help himself out of any scandal regarding sex possible. The problem is that he has property, and the problem is that the women do not, right? And so for me and for a lot of that episode, we we sort of unpacked, you know, consent and this idea that somehow teaching kids about consent is going to rectify rape, which is just lunacy. I, it's not that it's not helpful. Sure, do that. Right. But don't pretend like it's going to ameliorate the problem, which is a fundamental structural inequality of capitalism,
2: period. It just Also, is. the problem is masculinity itself. <laughs> <But>
3: <laughs> and femininity. Yeah, right. That's true. It, the, the idea gender. that there, yeah, there's a gender binary is garbage. That is also right. a problem. Right. But, but I came in and just, like, unloaded on Laura. Right. And she was just like, oh, I didn't know that this was where the right. convo was going to go. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I have
2: some things to say I've about the frustra- movie. I've been frustrated, though, because the men I've talked to, like, they're like, now I'm afraid to, like, make a move. Yawn, and I'm like, why don't snooze. you just ask? And they're like, but that's not sexy. Like, no one wants to kiss me if I have to ask them. And I'm like, okay, maybe... Like, spend some time meditating on this. because (laughs) asking I think that would be great. (laughs) But basically, they are making up an excuse for not being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. You know, vulnerability is their issue. Yeah, the problem is that when you have to ask,
3: every time you ask is a possibility for rejection. So Mm -hmm. if you don't have to ask and you don't have the possibility of rejection, so you get to control the scene of the sex and the power more, which is lazy. It's just lazy. But that's not the root of the problem. The root of the problem is that fundamentally, if men want to rape, they do that. Right. And you have an entire judicial system that's set up to allow them to do that. So it's not going to it's not like the communication difficulties is where the intervention is going to solve the problem. Those are ameliorative things like after after the fact like, oh, we're going to just accept that this is a permanent feature of the culture. And then this is the band aid, And then hopefully you get a good guy who's not rapey and you can talk through the thing right do you see how that's like uh, that's not really about ameliorating the structural problems that create the inequality around sex so that's why me too is not a movement it's a moment but it's not a movement at all it's just a bunch of women who are um, rightfully upset about sexual violence and trying to rectify it through a narrative strategy that is fundamentally not going to liberate them Gotcha. yeah
1: Uh, I am curious I know it's a difficult question and a difficult like answer to come across but how do you how do you move toward that except on an individual level how do you move towards changing structures and I know it's a big question like it's a fundamental part of what you guys do is in having these conversations but how do you move a culture on the whole to a more healthy spot
3: you cap CEO pay you have a federal job guarantee. You increase the minimum wage. Uh, you change messaging about consumption and you focus on, you know, climate change <laughs> as like a global imperative for us to re- re- reimagine the way that the culture relate to itself. I mean, I mean, it's not like these are so hard to manage, but the fact of the matter is that we are in a moment of smash-and-grab capitalism where the wealth is being aggregated ever more quickly to the top. And if we don't stop and make large-scale interventions about wealth, we are going to live in an apartheid country where we, the white people are increasingly the minority because of the browning of America and they concentrate all the wealth and power and they withhold all of the wealth and all of the power from the majority. And it's going to be a majority minoritarian country if we do not do it. Yeah. Campaign finance is a big issue
2: to like the fact that we're allowing companies to reorganize their money and make massive donations to candidates who are beholden to them that's a problem. Citizens United is mm-hmm. a problem. We
3: just saw the NFL today as we were, right before we recorded this, they're going to find players who take a knee or refuse to stand for the anthem, uh-huh. which is absolutely a first amendment issue 100%. But above and beyond that, it's the it's the the obvious outcome for the Citizens United Supreme Court decision which said corporations are people, right? So if the, you know, if if the 49ers let's say, our corporation, then they get to limit the speech of their players because the the speech of the corporation is more important than the individual rights of the players. And that is how rights are going to be aggregated in the hands of the wealthy in a way that is going to completely fuck America. And not just the poor people, all of the people who are worker people, which is all of the people, Uh right? And so if we don't move (laughs) to redistribute the wealth in a more equitable way when climate change gets worse I mean we're gonna be surrounded by millions of dead people and everybody's gonna to have to deal with that and that is not like alarmism <laughs> it's just fact right you we're gonna have a bunch of cities wiped out on the coast you're gonna have a ton of migration within the country into places that don't have the resources or the infrastructure to support that kind of migration and you're gonna have no jobs so what are we gonna do with all those people
2: Yeah, on the lighter side of it, (laughs) (laughs) on the playful side. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, I think transformation of the apocalypse. I mean, not entire transformation, but if you have the time and energy, making a podcast, doing art, creating like events for your community, like any kind of community building project, any kind of like art that you think has an impact, or, or it has a statement uh or you know organizing political group i mean yeah community building in general i think is a good way to move the needle it's frustrating and it's huh. a lot of work and i don't blame anyone who doesn't have the time or energy to do it individually but <laughs> if you do uh i mean we need it Yeah, I mean, Laura and I, you know, like some people knit and I love
3: the textile arts, but Laura does comedy, which is important, both for her and the community. And then I have a whole separate career as a as a politico. And so I train legislators and write legislation. And, you know, you know, I do a lot of community organizing um, and consulting (laughs) and a lot of political work in the state. And so I think for people who that's their interest and their talent, that's a place where you have to intervene at a very basic bricks and mortar (laughs) you know sort of way to manage um not just the anxiety about this kind of huge social transformation that we're living through but also to i think um try and build a different kind of future and so we talk a lot um on the podcast about um the importance of a radical imaginary and how we suck as a culture at imagining futures and like that's a thing we talk about as a pedagogical tool like imagine a different future for yourself and for your community and you know we don't do that work so we think you have to
1: yeah, I think that episode for me was one that I really wrestled with because imagination um, in my mind is so much like a can be a practice in futility if there's no action taken mm. out of that. Um, so I really wrestled with that also because I'm a little bit of a pragmatist. Mm. And so sitting and considering what a future could look like almost feels like I'm sitting and staring at my hands and not using time to go do something or go do a podcast or go have a conversation with a friend or those sorts of things. It's, I don't know. I really wrestled with that one, but I really enjoyed it as like a, as a challenge. Yes. Mm -hmm. An exercise um, to what is comfortable to me, you know? So.
2: I feel like that's a problem right now because people see this administration, they think it's a joke and they honestly like don't know what action to take and they're just like, I don't. (laughs) I don't. What do I do now? And that's like a real, I don't know, reasonable response to something that you think is, you know, untenable. But yeah, imagining how we're going to have a different future like that. Is very separate from this administration well I think about I, I, I
3: think about a geek culture and sci-fi culture is a really interesting space for this I think a lot about Gene Roddenberry and what Star Trek has given the world because so many of the tools that we use today were just out of his mind and the r- mind of the writers for Star Trek and so like that's why we have cell phones <laughs> like you know like they imagined them into the future and then We created the technology to map that desire into the culture and I don't just mean it as a consumer thing I mean one of the things about Star Trek that was so cool, of course is it's the first interracial kiss right between um, Kirk and uhura and so what does it mean to write black people into the future? Mm -hmm. Right as technologically advanced almost all of the imaginary space for for um, Futurist impulses in white culture have been all white people surrounded by all white people in the future. I mean, if that's not cr- like the creation of the white supremacist imaginary, there's, I mean, that's what it is, right? Which,
0: what was so great about Black Panther, like as a whole. Yeah,
3: well, no, t- the best thing about Black Panther <laughs> as as, mm-hmm. as as like the expert on the Black Panthers uh, is, <laughs> okay. is the fact that that is a story about um, political immaturity, right? The political immaturity in Wakanda, which is this like Patrilineal, right? Hereditary monarchy, which is shit. That's a garbage idea. I'm, I'm sure everybody enjoyed the royal wedding, but. Uh, and then here you have like the Panther who's coming from the U.S., who's like a, a, you know like the, the CIA trained you know military fighter guy, and both of those impulses are radically they have full, they're full of potential, but they're immature political impulses, right? They haven't been given the time to develop into a full sort of cultural model, and that's what the Black Panther right is about, right? Both as a full as a political philosophy, like. In American history, and then also is like part of the right, comic book universe is like how do we grapple with right the technological space of blackness right as as a as a technology of culture. What do we under- how do we understand race as a technology that actually arrays bodies and power and money and things like that. So I mean I love the Black Panther. It's great. So but it's a but it's fundamentally a parable about political immaturity. Yeah. I mean, which is really, is hyper-American, right? And if yeah. you think about all of the, ca- whether it's DC or Marvel, all of the comic book characters are immature. Yes. I li- <laughs> they are, right? That's why men love them, because it's like this pe- perpetual adolescence, right, that, uh-huh. that spans 100 years, right, of time. I talked to my kid. My kid loves Batman. She's like, I want to marry Batman when I grow up. And I'm like, you can't. She's like, well, I'm like, he is emotionally unavailable, uh-huh. <laughs> okay? He, <Yeah>. he <laughs> cannot do intimacy. He cannot. Okay, he has man feelings that he cannot articulate. Uh-huh. You do not want him to he would be a bad partner. I'm like Alfred, nice guy. He has access to all the fun toys. Emotionally available. Does a lot of caretaking. Give him a shot, right? Uh-huh. But, but, but that's the thing. Is like all of those masculinities are immature political futures. Yeah. So. Well, I mean,
1: I think that people don't like the golden age superman because he's so pristine and perfect like he is like he has no flaws he is the man of steel like he is flawless in every way and you see like his character we need to introduce like some sort of problem in his personality or something to keep him interesting and recognizable as a picture of ourselves that we can project onto I mean, okay, and to, yes. right? Yes,
3: well, I mean, B- Batman is the displaced super ego of yeah. Superman, but he's the, he's the blackening of whiteness rather than the presence of black people, which is why the Black Panther is created, right? I mean, not to geek out on comic shit because honestly, that's like really not my area of expertise. Except that, right? Comics work as a sort of displaced. <laughs> landscape of self. They uh-huh. are an imaginary space, right. right? And so Batman exists as like this darkened, right? More primitive. Part of masculinity that's in the dark underbelly of the city—it's urban, it's blackened. It's where it's—it's it's almost like racial tourism, where white people can, white men can play it being dark and black and brooding and technological and right the law and order and vigilante justice shit. All of the grossest parts of like masculinity under capitalism. Yeah,
2: but at the end of the day, he's a petulant millionaire totes who is putting away anarchists. So it's a an extremely capitalist narrative. Totally. Batman. Totally. He's a millionaire and he's putting away. Or <laughs> like, Iron Man. There's an Occupy garbage. Wall Street narrative in the last Christopher Nolan film. And I mean, <laughs> he was basically fighting against Occupy Wall Street in that movie. Yeah. Like <laughs> He was basically like the king of Goldman Sachs. Yeah. He was like basically Bernie Madoff with the black yeah. suit. <laughs> so I don't know. That's a weird thing to idealize, though. Like, I feel like that is a kind of a superhero narrative where, like, people have powers and they're pristine and perfect and they're millionaires <laughs> and you'd like to be them but and really mostly, they're ruining it uh, ruining it for the rest of us so,
3: another, so I told the kid I made my kid watch Star Wars 4 through 6 and so we get to the end she's very upset that Luke burns Vader and she's like there was good in him and I'm like you should have seen him murder all these baby Jedi's but anyway so, she, so she's like why did we watch these I was like because they're basically a secret decoder ring for every man that you'll meet for the rest of your life OK, the entire fantasy of self <laughs> is wrapped up in either DC, Marvel or Star Wars. So you have got to be literate about these fantasies of masculinity. For me, I mean, as a lean back situation, I'm just so fucking tired of male fantasies of anything. Right. There's just so fucking banal. Right. It's the same story. Oh, you had a sad dad. I want to he- let's hear about your sad dad because no women have sad dads. OK, let's make I don't know an entire religion out of that great let's do that and we'll do that we'll do sad dad religion we'll do sad dad on the tv (laughs) right (laughs) sad dad story it's so hard he cut off my hand what are you gonna do i mean i'm just so tired of man fantasies because they're so fucking limited and they're so narcissistic and i just feel like men are so far up their own asses that they cannot imagine more interesting ways to be in the world and we know that because they keep watching the same cartoons for 100 years in a row and I would just like some fucking different ones. So God help us, at least black Panther's like, here's some black folks imagining shit differently. Oh, look, different music and different power structures and women and chicks with shit and oh my God. Right, I mean, everything about that is about smashing through and creating a different kind of imaginative frame, not just for politics and its relationship to aesthetics, but also about people's expectations about film as an art form that that teaches them about themselves.
2: I don't think the superhero movies are doing much better, but I do think... Movies in general are doing better at displaying vulnerability in men. Yeah. I mean, I don't A know. little. I, I saw all 89 <laughs> of those women at Cannes.
3: Yeah. Right. Who were like, hey, there are no like women here. I
2: feel like a lot of TV characters, I mean, right now are like m- male TV characters are better at being like, emotionally available i
3: agree with that except that um they're all white spaces so if you look at tv in like the 70s you gotta that's true if you had filmed the show with friends in the 70s they wouldn't have been all white folk in new york right (laughs) you'd have a puerto rican and dominican right a guy who grew up in bed-stuy you would have like a bunch of different races of folks who were brownish Right, but it but since it's in the 90s is all white people and all their friends are all white. That's fucking crazy for New York and it's fucking crazy for TV. So yes, they're being more emotionally vulnerable only with other white people. Right. <laughs> Which is still like a problem. So it's like, OK, I mean, I'm, and maybe that's a, you know, baby step thing. I don't know that it is, but maybe. But even if we go down that path, it's still like totally white space or totally black space. Right. And then that's not even to say all of the other racial makeup, you know, c- communities that are just uh-huh. totally not represented in film at all. So yeah, I think that I'm sure that you were like I don't know I don't know about imagining futures. That's a <laughs> that's a weird paradigm shift. Uh-huh. But ultimately, I think it's like a skill set that needs to go in the toolbox to help us build a more, uh, r- you know, a, a culture that's more free. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Comic books rabbit hole. I mean, it's no, it's great. I think <laughs>
1: I've been just I've been thinking about stories a lot lately, and so I think it's really interesting to have this conversation about imagination and what a future could look like. So. Anyway.
3: I mean, the thing is, is that men don't know anything about women's stories, and they don't want to hear about it. They don't want to hear about periods, or childbirth, or abortion, or rape, or anything that involves women at all. They just don't want to hear them. They don't want to listen to women's music. I can't go to a fucking bar without listening to Stephen A. Smith or some man, white, a man, white man generally on the TV shouting at me about bullshit, right? Whether it's politics or sports. And all you want to listen to all the time, as a man folk, are the men yelling at you on the TV, which I... You can't go into public spaces, right? When it's not all man music or man TVing. I'm super tired of it. So I, <laughs> I joke about it. I'm like, let's go vag up a bar. And I'll be like, could you please put on some Tori Amos? You know, like anything else. And It's something that is going to be radically different. You know, like, can we please, with the less man fantasy in public, so that's a playful space right where you can where you can do we have to well good we're watching espn and the shouty men all day long
2: yeah tig notaro had a great joke on twitter today that was like can we just rename all improv classes to girls interrupted <laughs> <laughs> and twitter blew up because everyone was like also uh every hospital every law firm like literally <laughs> girls interrupted is like the base of if you're like trying to do anything in the world as a girl, like
3: I got trolled by this guy who got the sads um, today. He inboxed me. I, uh, he he wrote some dumb shit on my Facebook page, and it was the ideas were really bad. And I just wrote LOL. I just lolled him, and I didn't engage. And so all my friends then just came out and just shit all over this dude who I do not know in the IRL. And is a grown-up man It's you know you I hate it when the old people internet because they don't know know, right They just don't know how to do they're just olding. So anyhow, so so I just unfriend which I think is a favor and He inboxes me and is like you're a coward You have a cult. I'm like I would love a cult. Can I get a cult Uh it? How does that right? Who's in and so any obviously I screenshot it and send it all around But he's like are you too afraid to debate me? And I'm like no dude. I just think you're an idiot That's that's why I didn't engage with you and also why are you upset? You want me to roast you on the internet so everybody can see? Uh I did you a fucking favor. So anyhow, you know, it's like that. And his comment that he put on my Facebook page is like, I'm not really mansplaining, but here's, let me explain to you a thing that you're an expert about, which is what everybody was trolling him about. It's like somehow if you say, um, you know, I recognize that mansplaining is a thing and I'm not doing it, somehow it doesn't apply anymore. Uh Like it doesn't apply to me. I know that that's a thing and I'm going to do it, but it doesn't apply because I said it. Right. And so... um, yeah, that's basically man culture in a nutshell. Just let me. Let, oh, are you an expert on the thing? I would like to tell you how I feel about it. You know what? I don't go and I don't give my opinions to structural engineers about bridges. Oh, are you building a bridge? I got some ideas for you. Here's some drawings that I've just that I produced uh-huh. on my lunch hour. It's this. You know, it's the
2: same thing about politics for me, right? Or humor for Laura, right? I I mean, I work as a bartender, and I mostly work with men. Uh, as a bartender and there's like this like professional culture of like hyper masculinity and like people associate like more knowledgeable bartenders as like male and there's like the the professional bar dress code is very masculine it's like vests and ties and so it's really and like I don't know if you're like a female bartender you're doing more of like the cleaning and the like labor that other people don't see and you're doing the emotional labor of listening uh-huh. to the men patrons right so <laughs> seeing like that the gender dynamic just like so uh starkly b- starkly in mm-hmm. that work environment has been revelatory no i mean i knew i knew <laughs> so basically it's just been awesome to see it. yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> gratifying. <laughs> Yeah. I was right. Yeah. <laughs> That's sweet. I'm just like, this, ag- great. this again. Pain is a helpful teacher. Right. <laughs> oh, look, I'm doing 80% of the labor.
3: <laughs> Why aren't you getting ahead, Laura? I don't know. Yeah. If you only were doing 100%,
2: maybe you, <laughs> you make yeah. that money. Maybe.
0: What do you feel
1: like you've learned in doing this podcast? If, If it's research, if it's just like the experience of doing the podcast, if it's conversations that you've had that wouldn't have happened because of stuff like this, what have you learned from doing this?
2: I mean, uh, recording our ideas has been very instructive, and I feel like having a record of things that we've said, and like I don't know, we've been really pleased with some of the ideas that we've generated, and having a record of that has been really nice. Um, It's also a lot of work and commitment and I don't know that I mean putting your time and energy into something that you care about and like and that you totally control. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that's been I don't know not not necessarily like difficult but it's been like something I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that, but
3: <laughs> I mean, for me, I'm I'm finishing a new book that I've been writing simultaneously with all four seasons that we've recorded. Okay. So for me, it has really sharpened a lot of the arcs that I'm making in that new book, um, and I think so. So professionally, that's been very helpful personally obviously Lauren I get to hang out a lot now and because the podcast has gotten so big we're being invited to do live recordings all over the country right. and so we will start doing tour doing that tour in the fall um, starting in Nashville and so that is sexy um, and then <laughs> professionally it's been sort of weird because a lot of my colleagues I think listen to lean back mm. and so then that's weird because then they know all of these other ideas that are not my work you know like like here's all of this commentary about all of this other stuff that is not the black power movement or the cold war right that stuff that i write about and that's how we professionally interact and i go and i you know i do professional talks on this so that's been weird because it's created this this um intimacy right this like if people feel immediately intimate and because intimacy is one of my other favorite episodes because I talk a lot and do a lot of work around intimacy my third book is about intimacy and so that has been fascinating it's been it's created some super weird awkward encounters that have been magical and transformative and it, it's also I think created a vocabulary in the state of Arkansas for a lot of the collaborations that I do here politically and so that's been super sexy is that it's, it's a platform that gives me another way to, to introduce ideas, right, uh-huh. softly <laughs> right. to communi- communities that I work with to do transformative social stuff. So I like that, too. Huh. Yeah.
1: Have you changed your mind about anything? I'm really interested to hear about this. Is there anything that you've said on the podcast that you later had to walk back or change your mind about?
0: <laughs>
2: it's I mean, okay have, if not. I've I'm had just my curious. mind changed. Lisa and I have like disagreed about stuff, and I'll be like, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> I hear you." Yeah, um, but I over time. I mean, I've listened to the episodes quite a bit. I I think they're pretty resolute. Um, I I stand by. I don't think there's any anything that I wouldn't wouldn't stand by. As it is, right now. Mm-hmm. No, (laughs) no, (laughs) no,
3: no, no. I mean, I I was a high school and college debater, so there are like no ideas that fly out of my mouth that I'm not totally committed to and that I haven't thought about for 25 years, like some version of the thing. Uh So (laughs) I process so quickly that I come out of the gaze completely committed to the ARG with a whole scaffold of ideas to go along with Mm -hmm. it to make the case. And the fact that we are doing like thought experiments, basically, right. right? We're we're trying to create a different kind of cognitive and emotional space mm-hmm. to process, like people's subjectivity, it means that the 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 stakes are really low, right? It's like low risk, high yield. So yeah. it's
2: very, it's, so it's, I don't know, I don't I think there's, there's no risk beat in being wrong. Anyone over the head with anything? Well, a lot of times we're like, here's what I think. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So I mean, obviously, we're saying our opinions. <laughs> Yeah.
0: I mean, it's your platform. So, I
2: mean,
1: I mean, you (laughs) you say this is low. You say what you got, you all do is high or low risk, high yield. And I think. If what you all do is low risk, what Peyton and I do is like negative no risk, because um, Peyton and I talk uh, out of our butts about cool restaurants that we like or whatever. Like we say, "Oh, the chicken's good," you know. Yeah. I don't know. There is like, no risk. Well, I don't no know. I feel like
0: people are more, um, you know, able to fight us on <laughs> these things, you know, instead of like a scaffolding of the argument. And Art's just like, "I like the chicken," but I, but also, <laughs> and like, then they're like, "No." <laughs> I'll fight you on a day. But oh. like
1: the intellectual work of connecting a lot of different ideas, if someone disagrees with any one of those points where you make a connection where they don't, I feel like it could lead to a lot of debate and disagreement about any one point that you make on the podcast.
3: Yeah, but I mean, we don't talk to the people. We talk to each other, so we yep. don't have to hear about what they think. I like, love having I mean, behind
1: it, a microphone.
3: Yeah, I, <laughs> I just think about these as like knowledge grenades, right? It, it's like you were saying. You're like, I listened to an episode. <laughs> Pain was saying it, Like, I listened to an episode, and I had to do some deep breathing mm-hmm. after like 40 mm-hmm. minutes. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I totally get that. I assume everybody does. So I'm like, oh, you binge listen? To what kind of a masochist no, are you? Okay, Zach
0: exactly did that. I don't do,
1: <laughs> do that. Did do
3: you binge listen? I, I am
1: like a serial binge listener of podcasts. Yeah. On the whole, and then I stumbled across you all. And started listening, and I was like, oh, oh, no, I've got to go listen to something, like, comedic and light and get me out of this.
0: Well, I can't tell you how many times I've driven to Fayetteville, because that's the perfect amount of time. And I get here to do whatever fun thing that I drove down <laughs> to do. And I have so much on my mind.
3: <laughs> and then I'm
0: like, oh, I'm at a Razorbacks baseball game. Okay, how do I engage with this?
3: Uh-huh. Ugh. How did you find us?
0: Um.
1: So since we started doing the podcast, I started looking around for other podcasts in the region um, because I was really interested in creating a community of podcast people, people who could give each other pointers. And I mean, everything from like cross promotion try to figure out how we can support each other in communities, podcasters in the region. Um, So that was kind of the idea. And so I found you guys through just looking around and finding like basic brewing. And that's what she said. And you Mm -hmm. all, and, A handful of other people but it was just a internet search for people in this region doing stuff or it was natural conversation with people who knew people yeah you know and
0: then it was exciting when you guys did the live recording
3: yeah yeah we met there and that was super fun yeah it was a riot we did a live recording in Fayetteville at Nightbird Books and we did Passion was our topic no it was it pleasure a, it was a pleasure it mm-hmm. was a pleasure and <laughs> laura and my mom laura's mom and my mom are both there <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and today we'll be talking about dirty talk uh-huh. with our moms yeah that was a fun night we we're going to do a bunch more of those live recordings so yeah. that was so fun be exciting. Mm-hmm. yeah and we had a great time
0: but you got a road show with it right
3: uh, we'll do another one probably late summer here um, as part of season five, which uh, will be out by September. And then, yeah, we're going to go to Nashville and we've got a bunch of other stuff that are that is being scheduled all out for the next year. So mm. we're, it's hard because I teach. Right. So that's hard. It's hard for my schedule because I also have to do conferencing and like professional stuff. Bummer. But. But yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's fine. It's been good because when Prison Power came out um, and it won all the awards, my press was like, here are some flyers, like (laughs) mimeographed order forms I'm like are you shitting me like what are you saying no and they're like what do you want I was like I would like postcards and so obviously we have a bunch of lean back postcards and I'm like this is who we use I want the cover on the front I want the book awards at the bottom I want the podcast on the back and my press totally did so they have been super supportive about cross-promoting the podcast on the the university of press of mississippi's website and their tweet twitter feed and they have been super rock star supportive which has been really great mm-hmm. because then every time i do a talk right then i can also you know talk about lean back in my professional space because it's you know it's hardcore intellectual work so yeah that's been great they've yeah. been very supportive
1: good yeah that's exciting that's so good to hear that's exciting
3: yeah, well, they didn't know. They're like, what? I was like, I have this great pop- podcast. And they're like, what do you mean by great? I'm like, the number one in the state. <laughs> and they're like, who are who are you? I was like, I know, right? <laughs> and I'm like, we should probably have a phone call about it. So we have a phone call. And I'm like, here's my marketing plan. And they're like, what? I was like, yeah, this is what we're going to do. So they have been awesome, quite frankly. That's and great. then we've been doing guerrilla art. So like, I travel a ton. And so we just printed a ton of stickers. And so I, gorilla, I do guerrilla stickering all over uh-huh. the world. So that's been fun <laughs> to see, you know, when Lean Back gets tagged on Twitter or whatever yeah. and taking pictures and, like, you know, with graffiti and other sticker art and stuff. So I like that for me. That's like physically subversive in the physical space. And uh, I like it a bunch.
1: Good deal. Yeah. Any final thoughts to wrap up with? Yeah. Good Thanks deal. for having yeah, us on. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> We're so stoked to have you on. <laughs>
0: Now, listeners, do you know what we meant by keeping up was very difficult? Yeah,
1: yeah. If you are lost or if you got lost along the way and had to stop it or slow it down or rewind, I totally get it.
0: Yeah, re-listen to parts. That's what I do when I listen to their podcast. Yeah. But all of that, you know, we're, we're joking about it, just the feeling of being overwhelmed. But it's all very challenging intellectually for me. And I have not had, um, honestly, I haven't had a great podcast or a great medium to just intellectually challenge me since college. Really? Yeah. Like I'm doing it on my own has been okay, but really a podcast like this really kind of kicks me in the pants and says, Hey, why do you think this? Yeah. Um, and whether or not, you know, I, I agree with the arguments of Lisa and Laura, or I do It at, at the very least just gives me the ability to be more mindful of what I'm thinking about and challenges areas that are just kind of long seated. For example, Batman, Mm -hmm. um, that, that was interesting because Batman is one of my favorite superheroes and I enjoy that he's broody and really dark and all of that. But as Lisa said, he's kind of a representation of like the darkening and the blackening of the white man. And it's kind of like a, a facade that he puts—not uh, a facade, but it's a cowl. Sure, it's a cowl he puts on. That it's, he puts on—it's an actual cowl. Yeah, and it's and it's symbolizing. Well, he's like taking on blackness in the sense that it's just like I have a very troubled past, and I'm trying to move past that. Um, and the world I interact with is dark and evil as, you know, a white man. So, I I thought that was really interesting and yeah, I'm going to
1: I'm going to think about that a little bit. The Batman thing is interesting. I I've never considered it with that lens ever. But, you know, there's a lot of things that I don't consider through a very critical lens. Um as you said, their podcast is very heady. And as far as like information goes when it comes to podcasts, uh their podcast is one cuz I do listen to some like information knowledge conveyance podcast, right? Um education stuff. You're right in that it is it is challenging like it is confronting mm-hmm. you. It is most of the podcasts I listen to that are education are like trivia, essentially. It's like, sure. it's a here's some information that you could use at your next trivia thing or whatever.
0: But it's not worldview shaping, yes. challenging.
1: Correct. It is not a you may not see this thing in the same light again. The, after having this conversation, after considering this thing, Um, like imagination, like the way we talked about imagine or the, yeah, the way we talked about imagination on the podcast that you just listened to the interview, um, how for me, I feel like imagination can be such a futile exercise, like such a waste of time in a lot of ways, um, when you could be using that time to actually be doing something and being confronted with the, the idea that imagination is not totally useless, but is given it gives power and hope for a better tomorrow um and it's not like a futile exercise as I still think a little bit that it is
0: uh all right um but it's okay
1: i'm a as i mentioned in the show again it's just like i am a podcast binge listener like i am accustomed to listening to hours and hours and hours of podcast on top of itself just At length, their podcast is one I can't do that with at all. It's just so, so dense, so dense, and takes some time to unpack.
0: Well, and we were actually talking with a friend about this um, a little bit before we're recording this right now about how some statements are made and they, it's it's interesting because they seem, if on face value, that they're out of context. But if you know, like Lisa and Laura, and how they, their brains connect concepts so fast that this statement is wrapped up in a lot like it's it's not just this out of nowhere statement. It's very much based on a bunch of evidence. Um, but you're going from like conclusion to conclusion. And so. So, yeah, so be needing to take it slow is definitely understandable,
1: which is like probably super necessary to for this sort of thing. That,
0: yeah, for the be, type of content for
1: the type of content, like it is it's maybe we should slow down and consider it at length and not listen to it serially like we would a podcast like serial <laughs> um Badoom-ch. uh, so maybe it's something that we
0: sit back and let marinate a little bit, lean back and let marinate a. That's my one joke of the. Uh huh. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh yeah. It. I've got a lot to think about after this episode.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna go back and listen to this one a couple times.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, am not totally sure where I arrive at as far as my thoughts on the conversation. Sure. Um where i agree or disagree with them like i'm still chewing on that and considering like and even the fact like am i allowed as a white male white straight male to disagree on some of these points because some of it is just not my experience also you know so and that's where some of those nerves came from when we did the interview anyway um but i'm still chewing on some of that stuff like Mm -hmm. You know how much of that is experience and how much of that is looking at the thing and understanding history and understanding social constructs and that sort of thing. Also, the degree to which, where on the spectrum does it fall is like a thing of importance or whatever.
0: Well, great. We're really thankful to have had Lisa and Laura on the show. And if you want to go check them out, their lean back podcast. Uh, they're on you know iTunes as lean back critical feminist podcast on facebook as the same thing go ahead and follow them and listen to a couple of their episodes if you liked our conversation on play Mm. they have a full episode on play and that's from season one so go check that out but they have four seasons of content go pick a topic that you're curious about like for example she talked about the shame episode yeah helped a lot of people process the shame in their own lives and so Go ahead and give it a listen. If you want to hear us on their podcast,
1: go listen to the Pleasure episode where Peyton and I attended the live recording of the podcast and asked a couple of questions. You can hear us laugh. You can
0: hear us laugh. You could probably hear our voices very slightly in the background. You you can hear our questions repeated into the microphone. Probably. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
1: definitely that one. It's pretty neat. Um, So go check out that season. It is... No yeah. more than
0: six months old, I guess, right? And I think I the question I asked was about simplicity. I think that's what I asked about. It's yeah. The movement towards simplicity. I
1: think my question was about contentment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Anyway, neither here nor there. But you can go listen to that episode. Uh, it's up right now. Uh, if you like us and you want to support us or find us on the internet anywhere we are on Facebook at Hey Hey NWA. We are on Instagram at Hey Hey NWA Podcast. We are on Snapchat at Hey Hey NWA. And if you want to financially support us, we're at patreon.com forward slash Hey Hey NWA. Did you know that our podcast is called Hey Hey NWA? Did you know? It's I'll be real upset if somebody forgot. It really, though. <laughs> be real upset. You did good job with the branding there, Peyton. It's mm-hmm. it's That's- hard to forget. It's catchy. It is catchy um and people end up accidentally saying it all the time hey hey hey
0: hey 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 get that joke all the time hey 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 peyton hey hey peyton (laughs) peyton hey hey well with all that i think we're done with the episode so have a heck of a heck of a day with hey hey nwa
3: Mm